0: Welcome to the award-winning show Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. We returned for season six to answer the biggest
1: question for a career military families. So when are we going to get out? And everything involved with answering this question.
0: I'm Jen Amos, creator and co-host of Holding Down the Fort and a Gold Star family member and veteran spouse. And I'm Jenny Lynn Stroop, co-host
1: and chief shower-upper here on Holding Down the Fort.
0: Together, we will converse with special guests from and for our military community to share knowledge and resources and relevant stories on how we can best pull down the fort while on active duty, going through transition, and into post-military life. Now, let's get into the show. When you hurt so bad, you think that people don't love you. But the truth is, they do. A quote by Olivia Nunn. What would you do if you finally said, I need help, only to be told that the earliest you can be helped is in six months. This was the situation Lieutenant Colonel Olivia Nunn and Soldier for Life Director of Communications found herself in when faced with many challenges around her military transition. Newly retired, Olivia openly shares her story and mental health advocacy as the podcast host and producer for the Never Stop Serving podcast series for Military Officers Association of America, or famously known as MOA. She brings light to the lack of resources for our military community, the importance of advocating for lower enlisted ranks and the turning point to her suicidal ideations, creating change as a community, and much more. Let me set this disclaimer and say that if you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or a crisis, please reach out immediately to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-8255. In addition to the Lifeline phone number, the three digits, 988 988- has been designated as the new three-digit dialing code that will route callers to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So once again, if you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or a crisis, please reach out immediately to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or by simply dialing the new three-digit dialing code 988. Of course, we will also provide additional resources in the show notes of this episode, should you be looking for more resources? Olivia, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for your honesty and your transparency, as I know you're already comfortable with, (laughs) as we know on your social media. But either way, it really meant a lot to have spent the time we did with you in this recording to hear your story and hopefully share some inspiration to our listeners. Last but not least, the show is possible thanks to U.S. Vet Wealth, for our service members at the rank of E7, E8, E9, O5 and O6, it's a fact that you've invested decades to earn your military pension. At US Vet Wealth, we ensure that you don't wait another 20 years for your second retirement. We do this by showing you how to privatize your military retirement pay. However you want the next chapter of your life to look like, whether it's getting that supplementary paycheck because you want to work, not because you have to work, starting a business, or, you know what, taking a break before figuring out your next career or adventure. Privatizing your military pension will give you the ability to decide what autonomy, impact, and work-life balance looks like for you in post-military life. Download our free white papers today at usvetwealth.com, That's U-S-V-E-T-W-E-A-L-T-H.com which are titled, Navigate Your Retirement Pay and Survivor Benefit Plan Alternatives, today. Once again, our white papers are available for our career military families with the following ranks, E7, E8, E9, O5, and O6. At our website, usvetwealth.com, that's U-S-V-E-T-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. You can download these white papers once again for free, no email opt-in necessary. Thank you so much, US Fed Wealth, for sponsoring Holding Down the Fort. Now, without further ado, please enjoy today's conversation with Olivia Nunn. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the award-winning podcast show, Holding Down the Fort. I am your creator and co-host, Jen Amos. And as always, I have my amazing co-host with me, Jenny Lynn Stroop. Jenny Lynn, welcome back. Hey, glad to be here today. Yes, I know. We are especially excited, as we always are, actually, when we do these conversations. It's so interesting because like, the day before, I'm almost like, for lack of a better term, like dreading the experience of interviewing. But when I'm actually in it, it's like extremely exciting because it's what you mentioned in like a couple of seasons ago when you said that these conversations are very life-giving. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. I get off of these conversations just feeling like rejuvenated and affirmed, you know, for the work that we're doing. So thank you for sharing this experience with me on our podcast show. Of course. It is one of my most favorite things. I love it. And I love that you say that every time because it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she still wants to be here. It makes me so happy. <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, as I mentioned, we're pretty excited because we get to bring on another incredible guest here on Holding On the Fort. We have Lieutenant Colonel Retired Olivia Nunn, who is the podcast host and producer for the Never Stop Serving podcast series for MOA. And fun fact, she's a queen, but not just any queen, a pageant queen. So without further ado, Olivia, welcome to Holding On the Fort. Thank you so very much for bringing me onto your show. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. And I want to extend my gratitude to you for inviting Jenny Lynn and I to your show just because... I think that MOA was an organization we had been meaning to collaborate for some time now. I know even Matthew was working with us, Jenny Lynn, your husband, to our unofficial PR guy. <laughs> yeah. Her, <laughs> our unofficial PR guy to connect. And, you know, for me it's kind of like, hey, if it happens, it happens. And, you know, fortunately, Olivia, somehow you found us. I don't know how, but you reached out and were on your show. And I just can't be any more grateful. So thank you for the opportunity to have been on your show. Oh, no,
2: we had such a great conversation. And so super excited that I get to be on your show, because anytime that, you know, women can empower each other and carry on a conversation, and especially be able to talk about the military community in a way that's uplifting, empowering, and really get to the heart of the matter, which is giving back to the military community is such fun for me, right? I mean, I could spend all day and we said that on my show about how I could go on for hours, but you know,
0: I'm sure our listeners would like to go do other things. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's when you know that you've had a good conversation is when you leave the listeners wanting for more. And they're like, Oh my gosh, like there's so much more to Olivia's story or my story or Jenny Lynn's story that I want to learn. And so we hope that in sharing our stories, it does compel you to check the show notes of this episode to reach out to us. So a little plug in there for people to reach out to us.
1: I was really contemplating that we all said that we don't have a hard stop until 530. And that would make this a two and a half hour long podcast. And we would literally go everywhere with our guests because you (laughs) accomplish a lot of things in two and a half hours. Yeah, absolutely. Give Joe Rogan a run for his show. Yeah. (laughs) Jack Shepard. Those are, gosh, those are like an hour and 45 minutes long. We could be the next armchair expert. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Anyway, so moving on ahead, Olivia, it's amazing first and foremost that, you know, you are here today to not just represent Moa, but represent you. And before we really even get to Moa, I want to talk about your journey, having served in the military, and the theme of holding down the fort this year is answering the question When are we going to get out? (laughs) And I know your story is still very fresh. You know, you're still fairly new in post military life. So tell us a little bit about your experience in the military, particularly right before you transitioned to your transition.
2: Yeah, for me. So I just recently retired. I retired in September 2021. So just I'm on the heels of retirement. And right before that, you know, I went through that transition window of what am I going to do? How am I going to do that? And trying to figure out what is the Olivia Nunn 2.0. And the nice thing about that was I had a toolkit. I had an arsenal because for your listeners that aren't familiar with who Olivia Nunn is, I worked for this organization called US Army Soldier for Life, whose job is to help transitioning service members at the strategic level. And I served as the director of communications, a fancy title as being the public affairs officer. And I ran their social media, their messaging and their podcast series. And that allowed me to be able to come in contact with organizations at every single level across the nation from employment to health and wellness to education. And so that gave me such an eye opening experience. To help prepare me in my transition. But even though I had that arsenal, it also didn't necessarily prepare me in my own transition. There were still gaps in that process. And even though I was well equipped, I wasn't well equipped to transition because I went through a very personal transition. And what I mean by that is, I went through my own mental health crisis as I was leaving the army. So here I am ready to take off the uniform, something that I've known for 20 years. So my identity is wrapped up in that uniform. I'd been this rank and none, right? Everything from second lieutenant all the way to lieutenant colonel for 20 years, three combat tours to Iraq, you know, the last few years as a mom and as a wife, but That last part, that wife was about to go away. I was about to experience divorce. My love story is about to come to a crashing halt. And that was so unexpected. And so for any listener who has gone through that transition, that's gut-wrenching, right? It's scary. It's, you know, it's so unknown, even if you know that it's going to be something you want to do right? Because what's on the other side is still scary. And that is now overlaid with, I'm going through a divorce. And that sent me down this very dark path. And to the point of, I was planning a suicide.
0: Um, thank you, first and foremost, Olivia, for sharing all that. And I know that you are very transparent with your story and i know that you openly talk about it and there's so many facets of your life that you're so open to talk about at the same time t- i was actually talking about this with a friend the other day you know there's a difference between let's say raw emotions and processed emotions so raw emotions are kind of the initial feel like that that dark space that you're in you know where where maybe like like you don't know what to do you don't know how to act you don't know who to ask for for help And then there's the processed emotions where you could actually talk about what had happened. And so the fact that you are here to tell us what had happened, to give us even just a bullet point, I know that it's more than just a bullet point of what you went through. It was a very dark time, as you had mentioned. And so I just want to commend you for having done the work that you needed to do really to show up to the space today and share your processed emotions in a sense and tell your story. And more importantly, I think like we mentioned earlier, just being able to give back to our community. And part of the way that you're doing that is not just with the podcast show, but in sharing your story so candidly. Was interesting, what listeners
1: can't see is that Jen and I are not often speechless, but it took us both a minute um, after hearing the story, which also isn't our first time hearing that story. And so that speaks to the level of impact that it has when you share it, Olivia. And also, you know, working in mental health, like it just really breaks my heart to know that here you were, somebody set up with so many resources and the resources that you needed when you needed them weren't right there. You know, that's a lot. Like you were going through... I mean, people don't list military transition as like what there's like a list of like the top 10 most impactful things in life. And, you know, one of them is death and the other one's divorce and military transition should be on there. But it's not because there's only, you know, like 0.5 percent of us who do this. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, you were going through like a lot, like a handful of the largest things that cause people to have mental health issues and to need extra support. and. You know, I just appreciate you sharing that so beautifully. Thank you.
2: You know, for me, one of the reasons why I'm so open about it is, you know, I've been in the world of social media for the last, what, 12 years, right? I started work in social media back in 2010 when I was the first social media chief at West Point when I served there as a public affairs officer. And I am a true believer that you have to be authentic. And what I mean by that is, If you follow me on social media, if you follow me on LinkedIn, on Facebook or Instagram, however you view me or see me, and then if you met me in person, I want you to feel like how you see me on screen, you should feel that that's who I am when you meet me in person. You shouldn't feel like, oh, that's her persona on screen And now you see me in person and that's a different person. Like Mm -hmm, I want you to mm -hmm. feel like Olivia Nunn on screen is the Olivia Nunn that you're meeting in person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I want you to know who I am. And I want you to know that I have bad days and I have good days. And I can't not share with you the days that I had that were horrible. And we aren't going to change the conversation about mental health unless we talk about it. And the truth is, mental health has been part of our conversation in the military community for a very long time. We just didn't talk about it openly. We talked about it in hushed corners because we were so afraid of the negative impact it was going to do to our careers. If we talked about it, it was going to destroy our careers. If we talked about it, it was going to remove us from our leadership position. If we talked about it, it was going to do these X, Y, Z. And we are starting to see a shift at the highest levels, that it's not doing that, that we can talk about it, that it is a good thing to talk about, but there still is a stigma. And so I just believe that if we do talk about it, we can change that paradigm. And it's not just talking about it from a positive perspective. We have to talk about it to change the narrative. We have to talk about it to make people aware, both within the military community and outside the military community. And we have to shed light on the fact, and this is something I didn't know until I went through that very real experience. And this is what was mind-blowing. Newsflash, there's not enough resources for the military community, specifically in the way of military mental health. When I was going through that, like I said, I was involved in U.S. Army Soldier for Life at my fingertips. I knew hundreds of organizations that dealt with mental health on a Rolodex that I could call that knew my name. And yet when I reached out to them, they couldn't help me, not because they didn't want to help me. I want to make that very clear. It wasn't that they didn't want to help me. Their answer was, man, Olivia, I want to help you, but I can't. We're over tapped. The best I can help you is maybe six months, but we're really looking at a year. And here's the truth I didn't even know if I had six days left in me. And the truth was, for me to even make that phone call to ask for help at that point and that point in my life was so incredibly hard because most people in the military are type A aggressive people. Like, that's just how we are, especially women, right? I'm a type A aggressive female personality. Like, it just rolls off of me. And for me to sit there and ask for help, to cry out and physically utter the words that I needed help was the hardest words to form. And I finally uttered that I needed help. And on the other line, the answers that I kept getting was six months or maybe a year. And I'm like, I'm at the end. I, I have effectively planned how I'm going to end my life. I know the way in which I'm going to do it. I know I could see it. I've planned it because the army has made me an effective planner. I've been doing it for 20 years. I know what I'm going to do. And you're telling me when I finally have said I needed help. And the answer that you're telling me is no. And so here I am as a lieutenant colonel who knows that no is not an answer, who knows that no cannot be an answer, who's got an attitude far larger than a five foot one frame, right? I'm very short, but my attitude is much larger. Who knows that I cannot and will not take no for an answer? And here's the truth in the military. The bulk of our force isn't at lieutenant colonel. Mm -hmm. The bulk of our force Mm -hmm. resides at E4 and below. Mm -hmm. And not because they're dumb, because they are not. You just don't know what you don't know at that young age. I didn't know when I was a lieutenant or a captain. So when you're at that young age, because that's typically what you are when you're at that lower enlisted rank, that lower officer rank, you don't know how to advocate for yourself. So you're going to take no as that answer. And that is absolutely not right. And to me, that cannot be right. That blows my mind. And that is why I'm on this journey. And that is why I believe that we have to have this conversation. That is why I'm so passionate about having this conversation and sharing my story that this five foot one with an attitude larger than life is saying that no is not the answer because I can have this attitude. I can have this voice. I can have this conversation for those that cannot to change the system, to change the narrative so that we can bring those resources to those that do not understand that no will not be the answer because we have to change it because right now we're looking at 22 a day. We have to stop soldier suicide. And how do we do it? We do it as a community. We leverage the communities around us to change the narrative. And we start by sharing
1: my story, your story, and the stories around us. Absolutely. You know, what I really appreciate you saying is, you know, talking about the force being, you know, really E4 and below. And not only are you a lower rank, you're also very young at that age, And like pointing that out to, you know, any civilians that may listen to this or even folks that just didn't realize that was the statistic. My husband and I have long talked about, you know, what is the solution to destigmatizing mental health in the military? And the thing we keep coming back to is the thing that, you know, we learned in the recovery rooms is like somebody has to go first and it needs to be the people with the higher rank to go look I'm the Admiral who got help. I'm the General who got help. I'm the, you know, Lieutenant Commander, Commander who got help. And I'm still here. I'm still doing the thing. It did not break my career, you know. And also be very honest about the ways that it may have turned your career. You know, as a family, there have been places we did not go because of my husband's... Honesty with some of his struggles. And also, that didn't mean that it was bad. Like, it wasn't what we thought was going to happen, but something else did. And that took us down a different path, which. You know, honestly, I can look back and say, was the better path for my family given where we were as a family and the resources we needed at the time? The thing that was quote unquote taken away from us was actually for our good. But I think being honest about those things, you know, it's not enough to blanket. Well, you, you know, you can talk about it and it's not going to affect your career. Like, that's BS. Like, (laughs) it is going to affect your career, but it may not affect it permanently, or negatively, or, you know, like, it may just change what you thought it was going to be. And I think the more people of rank that stand up and say that, and the more guys that stand up at safety stand down days and do the thing, you know, is really the way that we break stigma with this.
0: Yeah, this is just such a, a powerful conversation. Because, you know, I am the product of someone who didn't take care of their mental health. You know, my dad, he was enlisted. He served in the 80s and 90s. And one thing that my mom, my mom's so hilarious. Like she will just, like she doesn't like tell me about my family history, but she'll kind of tell me if it comes up. It's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, you know, one of those things." It's like, "Wow, mom, had you told me that forever? I probably would have been less traumatized. Or like I would have less issues." But anyway, that's beside the point. I love my mom. Hi, mom. Anyway, I just I remember like my mom told me the story that when I was 1 year old, and my dad was already, I think like halfway, like he was planning on going career at this point. He had attempted to take his life. He like he actively did. And since this is like a rated e podcast show, I'll say it. You know, he slit his wrist. And fortunately, you know, I don't know how he was found, but I I know that from what my mom told me, they put him through counseling. But who knows what happened since then? Because You know, often when we hear about my dad's story through his, you know, fellow sailors and family, we hear that he was the kind of guy who didn't want to burden people with his problems. And, you know, we were about 18 and a half years in. You know, the first duty station I was born into was in Yokosuka, Japan. And that happened to be my dad's last duty station before he was going to transition out when his ship was, you know, traveling from Japan to South Korea and he had gone missing. And so that from that point, you know, they never found him. I think he was reported as unknown or his death was reported as unknown or that he may have drowned. And that just kind of really catapulted our family, you know, straight into civilian life. And it really took me till really now, like now I'm in my 30s to unpack like what all that meant to me and how even I myself, I had all these questions of like, why do I have depression? Why do I have anxiety? Why do I not want to be here? You know, I, I I was reading this book. I forgot the author's name, but it was called "It Didn't Start with You," and it talks about how generational trauma gets handed down to the next kin. And recently, not not like right now, but more like almost almost two years ago during the pandemic, I had this strong urge to self harm. And actually, I don't know, genuinely, you're hearing this for the first time, so you're all hearing this for the first time. And I know I shouldn't be talking about it in upbeat voice, but that's you know my coping mechanism is. Humor and lightness, but you know, I, I had this strong urge to self harm, and I didn't understand why. And when my mom had told me the story about my dad initially trying to take his life um, when I was only one years old, well, it turned out that he did that around my age, around in like two years ago. And sometimes we repeat what our, you know, parents, grandparents, ancestors did at a certain age. So it's like, how do I even have this urge to want to do it to begin with? I didn't plan for this. I didn't plan to be this way. But it gets handed down. And I I share this entire story. And I see this even a lot, you know, in, in Scott and my husband, who's a veteran. And like this kind of like feeling like, oh, I'm taking up too much space or I don't want to get in trouble. Or like I don't want to increase my, let's say, disability percentage, because I don't want to take money from Text, but just this feeling of like i don't deserve certain things is, is the general message i'm sharing it breaks my heart because it's like when you say that you know you don't matter or you say that you don't deserve certain things you're sending a message to your kids or anyone around you that they too shouldn't be deserving and so so yeah i i share all this because it's like i can really resonate with the story of like you know we have to advocate for mental health because it does cause a ripple effect it does impact you know your loved ones as well and i don't want to say that as a way to guilt someone who maybe is wanting to attempt i don't want them to think well what about your loved ones how dare you not think about your loved ones how dare you be selfish that's not what i'm trying to say i am just trying to tell you my perspective of what it has been like to be on the other side of someone who may had possibly taken their life and maybe you know there's this pot, there's a lot of theories but you know One of the theories as to why they marked my dad as unknown is so that we can get our benefits, is so that, you know, we could benefit from Chapter 35 and, you know, my siblings and I go to college, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's just sort of what comes to mind for me. And I think like in talking from all our different perspectives, you know, Olivia, you as a veteran, Jenny Lynn as a military spouse, and I myself as a veteran spouse and a Gold Star daughter, to be able to bring light to this and recognize that how you take care of your mental health impacts like everyone. And it's just something to take into consideration. That's all. And and showing how someone like me had struggled and fortunately have gotten to this point in place and time to be able to do a show like this, to show and to share my processed emotions like Olivia has at this point to bring awareness ultimately. So thanks for listening. <laughs> I kind of went off there for a while, but Olivia, go ahead. No, but I, you know, and I think the truth is, and you showed it
2: too, is that it's an ever evolving process. It doesn't go away. And it's multifaceted, it's complex, and there's no right or wrong answer. You know, for me, from my perspective, it was, I thought I was the problem. And the army taught me, you find the problem, fix the problem, remove the problem. And in my head, I'm the problem. And so if I'm the problem, you remove the problem. And the army also taught me how to be an effective planner. So you start planning. So you remove the, if if I'm the problem, find, fix and remove and start planning. That's how I saw it. And it wasn't, you know, you don't think about the things on the flip side from, you know, in your perspective is you know, what are the ramifications and all of the things that are left behind, right? Because you see it from the pain from this side. And then at the same time, like, I don't want it to seem like, well, I figured it out. And because I got past it, that. Everything is rainbows and sunshine. It isn't right. I've gotten past the point where I no longer actively plan to end my life. Right. But that does not mean that I don't have dark days or that I don't have days that I feel like crap or that I don't feel good. Right. I still have those days. I do have less of those days. I will be honest. I'm a work in progress. You know, and I will tell you that it still sucks and it still hurts. And that's why I think it's important that we have these conversations and it's important that we're open about it so that it is part of the narrative and we are not hiding it. More so for me, culturally in the Asian community, we don't talk about it, right? It is a very shunned conversation. Right. It's the whole like, speak no evil, see no evil, hear no evil, as if it doesn't really exist. And if it doesn't exist, we don't have to worry about it. And the truth is, you can do that all you want, but it's still here. And that's not a way of dealing with it. And you see that you've seen that in the professional sports community when it comes to mental health. We've seen this in the military community, and we just have to change that. And we can't keep doing what we've been doing because that's not the right answer. Because there's so much hurt in our community and I'm just so passionate about it just because of, yes, I've gone through it. I've had friends that have gone through it and we really just need to work together to start moving the needle in a different direction because it's not gonna get better unless we do something. So how do we do something? Well, yes, we start with talking. And then the next part is, Let's start advocating. And that's where MOA comes in, this organization that I work for, right? That's why I podcast for them because MOA, Military Officers Association of America, is a nonprofit organization that actually does something, right? They do something by advocating for the military, by going on Capitol Hill, right? On a plethora of topics, many times on behalf of the military in itself. And a lot of times for the military family, which is where talking to you guys came about, right? Because the military family is a huge part of that conversation. That's the backbone of the military. And we have to do that. It is a multi-front effort, right? Both inside the military, outside the military, in conversation with the policymakers and the military family.
0: Yeah, definitely. I want to actually highlight one of the legislative priorities that MOA has been focused on for 2022, which is the protecting family support programs and ensure military provided services are readily available and meet standards for quality and costs. Because fun fact, you know, programs and services for military and veteran families are often the first to see cuts when the government funding becomes tight. And that in turn, unfortunately, diminishes the quality and availability of these programs. Similar to your story earlier, Olivia, about how like, even though you had access to all of these resources and organizations and you had the connections and they knew who you were, you still you had to wait six months. And so I just want to give a shout out to MOA for, you know, their efforts to, you know, try to continue to improve the quality of these services, you know, for our military families, because, you know, if anything, it's, it's even a great incentive for the military because if they're providing good services, then you're likely to maintain or retain your service members. <laughs> you don't want to leave. You appreciate the incentives of being in service, especially, you know, choosing to volunteer as, you know, we were mentioning in a, in a previous conversation, you know, the military has been a volunteer force since the 70s. And so if you want to keep us here and you want us to say good things about the community, take care of us, right? And considering, yeah, anyway, I think I'll leave it at that.
1: I had so many thoughts, especially about like this initiative with MOA, like as an active duty military family member, I am grateful for MOA and other organizations that continue to advocate for, you know, putting dollars behind the words of many well-meaning programs. We have a story very similar to Olivia's and trying to find help for our children. And literally walking a referral around a naval hospital and getting told, go to this person. Oh, actually, it's that person. Actually, it's this person. To finally find the person <laughs> who actually could help, only to be told, actually, we're not even seeing any family members here because we're full. And then, you know, out in town nobody was taking anyone with TRICARE because they were full. They weren't putting anybody on a list because they had met their TRICARE quota. And so to know that there are organizations out there advocating for more resources, especially in the mental health and like family... What's the word I want to (laughs) use? Like the keeping the family together realm, you know means a lot to me as an active duty family member. Because as Olivia said, like the military family is the backbone of the military. And when those things start to fall apart, like the service member is not as able to focus on the things that need to be focused on at work. So putting money and programming behind military families is is well worth the investment, in my opinion.
2: Absolutely. You know, when when your home is in order, then you could take care of your business matters, right? And it's not just the mental health realm, right? Moa is a huge advocate in, in spouse or spouse unemployment, right? Right now, when you look across unemployment, when you look at the sectors of unemployment, especially within the military community, inside the military community, spousal unemployment is the highest. It's at 27%, right? A lot has to do with, yes, let's be honest, a lot of spouses choose not to work for a plethora of reasons right it's cuz they're busy raising the family because we move every 2 to 3 years and that is tough when you're moving zip codes but the same token with that the reason why they don't work is because when you're moving every 2 to 3 years it's hard to pick up and start a new job right i mean here i am i just said you know i've been doing the same thing for 20 years yes i had a different job every couple of years but for the most part, it's kind of the same job, right? I, yet I'm kind of generalizing. But here I am in a new job for the first time, and I'm coming up on a year. This may well be a one complete year that I've been in this civilian job. I can't imagine that I would have to start learning another job in another year or two. You know, completely going to a new location, resettling my family, And then learning something else, because I might not even have the same type of job, you know, learning the whole new language of whatever thing that I'm learning after I've I've already unboxed the house, because, you know, moving the house is so much fun, not, you know, (laughs) and so it's more than just the mental health conversation. It's, It's about taking care of the family. And that's why organizations like MOA is so important, because the truth is, when you are active duty, you can't advocate for yourself. You can't charge Capitol Hill and say, I've got a problem and I need (laughs) you to fix it. It doesn't work, right? That's why organizations like MOA can do that on your behalf. And while the title is misleading, Military Officers Association of America, I want to make sure your listeners understand MOA is more than just advocating just more than just the officers in the military. It is advocating for the military as a whole. Everything from mental health to spouses to let's talk about, you know, burn pits, right? Mo is one of the largest organizations that was out there advocating about the burn pit registries and talking about the exposures, the toxic exposures to those burn pits, right? We're not done talking about that conversation. There's still more work that needs to be had with that, but we're talking about it. That's just one conversation you know, how to prepare your finances. That's another. There's just so many things that we could talk about within the military community. And that's why I love what MOA does. And that is why advocacy is at the heart of what MOA does. And it brings our community together, especially when we talk about this complex topic of mental health, because we're barely scratching the surface of mental health because mental health is, you're talking about this gray matter, this brain, right? And we really don't even understand that that organ, right? Because they say we use less than 10% of that gray matter and we really don't understand what that gray matter does. And man, would it be amazing if we could just get more than just the military community to really wrap our brains around the brain? Right. And put resources behind it to be able to, you know, help not just the service members, but our family members, because mental health not only impacts the service member, but the family trauma leaves its sticky residue, not just on the service member but to the family members, right? I mean, Jenny Lynn, you talk about that as a spouse and Jen, you talk about that, right? And I think that's the part that I think gets overlooked in this conversation. We get so focused, I think, sometimes on the actual service member because we get focused on the conversation about the person that wore the uniform and went to war. And I do not want to downplay that, right? I do not want to downplay that, yes, war is nasty and ugly, and a lot comes from that. And there's a lot of trauma with that. But there's trauma outside of that too. And we need to have that conversation. And that gets overlooked.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I appreciate you sharing that and talking about the military families, because I think part of you know, my purpose in life today is to show up as a Gold Star family member to talk about the aftermath, to talk about what it took for me to get to this place in my 30s now to just candidly and almost humorously, you know, talk about my upbringing. But it was really hard. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I struggle with till this day are feelings of abandonment, you know, having these unanswered questions about my dad, and even just how emotionally absent, my mom became because she had to provide for three kids under 11. And so it's very interesting how even till this day, and I'm really grateful to be in therapy, (laughs) but to have like certain triggers that come up and not even know their triggers until I talk about them in therapy and be like, Oh, well, look at that. Abandonment came slipping into my life again, you know, and just being able to have the tools and the support to work through it. Because otherwise, you just kind of Relive that trauma over and over again, you know, and I, I think about you know even my past romantic relationships and how you know even if I was in a relationship, I would still feel like emotionally abandoned or emotionally neglected, or if I was anticipating kind of a big shift, I would leave the relationship before they left me kind of thing, and I say all this because we all have that. I think we all have something like that in the military. We all have something that, you know, even if we are aware of it and we've picked up the tools to work with that mental health situation, I don't want to say issue, (laughs) you know, it'll still come up. It'll still creep its way into your life somehow. And so, yeah, I just think it's extremely important to talk about. And I do appreciate this conversation.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate Olivia bringing up like the support for the family You know, a conversation that was particularly difficult in my house before we all got help was, you know, one of us went to war and therefore that's where the issue lies. You know, one of the conversations we had in our house is like, well, only one of us went to war. So what's the matter with the rest of you? Like, and, you know, when we discuss military and veteran mental health, we often picture like the person in the uniform. Oh, they've come home with the signature wounds of post 9 conflict. Oh, it's TBI and MTBI and PTSD. But what happens is, I mean, and Jen, you just spoke to this, like, there is such an array of things that come from living this lifestyle that honestly may have nothing to do with someone's time in war at all, or may also have everything to do with that. I mean, it's interesting when we moved to San Diego, some of my very first friends there, you know, were also military spouses, and they would discuss similar abandonment issues. And I thought, well, that is not my issue. Like, I don't have abandonment issues. That's not what this life has left. You know, that's not the mark it's left on me. What I do have is excessive anxiety, (laughs) you know, that mostly comes from making sure I'm safe. And it's a different feeling than feeling abandoned. It's much more about do I have all the resources and all of the tools? Like, I often live from a very scarcity mindset and am looking to, you know, (laughs) are all the doors locked? Are all the windows closed? Like, All of those things because my experience as a family member of someone experiencing the signs and symptoms of PTSD was that things were not safe. And so that is the mark that this lifestyle has left on me. And that's what I continue to have to work through in therapy and counseling. And I just, I appreciate the conversation we're having around everybody needing the care and concern and the support. Because everybody's reason for going is different. I mean, Jen, you've talked about abandonment. I mean, I think every time we talk about mental health, and like, that's the thing that I mean, you speak about that very openly. And I often talk about, you know, what it's like to be the person who saw the signs and the warning signs of PTSD. But at the end of the day, what both of you and I and Olivia needed was The support of someone in the mental health field who could help us work through those things that were, you know, triggering us in those different feelings.
2: I also wanna say that, you know, you mentioned that it could be part of a deployment or it doesn't have to be, or it's tied to the uniform. For me, it was all of it and none of it. And some of it was years, right? For me, it was triggered by my retirement process. Layered by an unexpected divorce. And oh, by the way, when I was unpacking all of it, it went all the way back to 2003 when I was a lieutenant and I was assaulted on a a, during a deployment. I was physically assaulted by my NCO and I and I reported it. And the army basically, you know, it it was a botched report, it was all kinds of stuff and nothing came of it. Right. And to protect myself. And just to put it all away, I basically forgot of that incident, right? And like all kinds of things to protect myself of that moment of that incident of a shame and of guilt of everything that I felt I flushed that moment right because he smashed my face he almost broke my arm and like all kinds of stuff and and i told myself like i wasn't worthy of conversation because it wasn't a sexual assault it was just an assault you know like all of these things because of one reason or another and so it took literally 20 years to finally come to grips with all of these events and all of these traumas to come to grips with trauma in my life and the fact that I've been dealing with mental health for a very long time. So it's not just one singular event that all of a sudden it's like, I have mental health now. Well, uh, you know, sometimes it takes time and there's layers to it. And the truth is that I needed help and I didn't know I needed help. And like I said earlier, is that when I realized I needed help, there wasn't enough help out there. And that is what I want, you know, your listeners to really focus in on is that at the end of this conversation is that that these communities need to work together to change the narrative. And that changes how do we get more resources to the community? That is the end state right? And I hope that these stories, I hope my story, Jenny Lynn's story, Jen, your story, all of it moves us in a way that the end state is more
0: resources. That is my hope and wish. Amen. I want to go back to like just this plan that you had, the plan to essentially take your life. And what was the turning point for you? And before I get into that, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsor, U.S. Fed Wealth, and talk about holding down the fort's sister podcast show, The Spouse Benefit Plan. It's no secret that there's a lot to plan for when the decision has been made to transition out of the military. In asking the question, when are we going to get out? You now shift from the mentality of following orders to now taking an intentional, active role to planning for post-military life. But where do you even begin? Holding Down the Fort's sister podcast show, The Spouse Benefit Plan by U.S. Vet Wealth focuses on helping career military families make intentional decisions before transition. Aside from answering the question, when are we going to get out? The most important decision being, do we keep or opt out of the survivor benefit plan? But before you could even answer that question, the first step to making this decision is understanding what the survivor benefit plan protects, which is the military pension. Check out The Spouse Benefit Plan's latest episode, Episode 3, titled, Here's What to Say the Next Time Someone Says Thank You for Your Service, which has been written specifically to educate what the military pension is really about in relation to the service member and the military spouse. And here's a hint. The military pension is more than just a retired monthly pay that the veteran receives for the rest of their life. Listen to the show now by subscribing to the Spouse Benefit Plan on your preferred podcasting platform, or check out our show sponsor website, usvetswealth.com. That's dot com. right, and we're back. So, Olivia, you have been so transparent about this plan that you were going to essentially remove yourself as the problem. I'm sure we can get into more detail about it. What I'm most curious about, because obviously you're here, you're still here, and we're so grateful you know, to be with you, for you to tell the tale. What was that turning point for you? What was that moment where you were like, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. Or however you had that moment. And I really would love for you to be as detailed as you'd like, just because... I hope that anyone that is listening to this, if they are in that similar situation, maybe what you're about to share may give them that reason to not take their life. And so would you care to share that story?
2: Yeah. So for me, there were a few things. So faith is my number one. And for me, faith is I am a follower of Christ. And my battles were fought on the knee. And in that moment where I was like, I'm done like i you know, i was actually at this desk and i just i didn't want to breathe anymore i like my chest just hurt i was like i'm done like i if i didn't take one more breath i would be okay and there was just something that was just said get on your knees just pray one more time and i did and i don't even remember what it was that i prayed for i don't even remember if i necessarily prayed for another breath of life. I think it was just like, I just remember saying I hurt, you know, I hurt and I just wanted my life back. Right. I wanted my marriage. I wanted my life the way it was. And it was, and to me it was beyond asking why it just, I hurt. And the second part was I got a phone call. And I believe that everything happens for a reason and you have to have purpose, right? You have to have purpose and direction. And that purpose came. and That purpose was, what are you doing? Well, I wasn't about to answer that. Um, I want to take my life, right? Because the truth is, you know, I'm I'm a public affairs officer. I'm on camera. I know how to turn it on. And it was just literally, what are you doing? And I didn't know how to answer that. And it was just, uh, nothing. But it was enough where they knew that it was a lie, right? And they're like, and they knew it, but they left it at that. And they're like, okay, well, you figure out what you're doing. So I I was at this desk. I had just prayed. I felt shattered. And I got a phone call. What are you doing? And it simply was, I didn't know how to answer it. And it wasn't a very long conversation. But when I hung up, it made me realize what the hell was I doing? It stopped me enough to realize what was I doing? And it made me think about if I did go through with my plan and if I had to answer that to somebody, how was I going to answer it? Then I made a phone call and I called a friend and I said, I need help. And I have called every single number and everyone's telling me they can't help me. And they're like, okay, try this number. And I did. And I was able to talk to one counselor and that counselor just so happened, she used to work in the military community and understood how the military community system worked. Honestly, I don't even remember which nonprofit organization I ended up talking to, I, I was able to like get three free counseling calls, I think each an hour long. I talked to her for maybe 20 minutes. And like I said, she understood the military system enough. And I conveyed to her that I'm done. And I want to end it all. And she said, you need to go right now. She's like, where do you... She happened to actually be in Virginia. And she said, you need to go to Fort Belvoir. And you need to go to behavioral health and do an emergency walk-in. She's like, you need to tell them that you have suicide ideation and you need to do a walk-in. And she says, in fact, she's like, where do you live? And I told her where I lived. And she says, okay. She's like, how long does it take you to get there? I said, about 45 minutes. She said, okay, I'm going to time you and you better call me back. Here's my personal number. Because I, I called through an app. She says, in 45 minutes, I better get a phone call. If not, I'm calling 911 on you. And you better tell me you're standing in line. So I called 45 minutes and I told her I'm standing in line. And I went to behavioral health. And I called and I said, I'm standing in line at Behavioral Health. And I told Behavioral Health exactly what she told me to ta- tell Behavioral Health at, at Fort Belfort. I have suicide ideation that I'm at at Wits End and that I was told by this counselor, this is who she is. This is what she used to do. And this is why I'm standing here. And at the time, I was still active duty. And because of that, they took me in that day and I saw a counselor. And I was with that counselor for a couple months. And that's what began my journey with a certified counselor and walking that walk and going through my healing process. But that's because I happened to talk to the right person at the, you know, it started with a prayer, with a phone call that led to the next phone call. And 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 because I was active duty and I, you know, and I said it was an emergency. But here's the thing. It worked for me on that day that doesn't always work for everybody, right? So that was a divine intervention. I fully believe that. But again, the system is overtaxed, right? That I know full well that that doesn't work for everybody. There are plenty of people that I know that have done the emergency that I've walked in and they're like, oh, we can't take you. And that's the point that I want to make sure that people understand that there's just not enough. And because in talking to that counselor, when I was walking that talk with her and I, and when I laid out to her, she's like, okay, well, what do you mean you have a plan? And I detailed the outline. I was like, well, here are my three ways, right? Because like I said, Army taught me how to be a great planner. I had three courses of action. I said, here's course of action number one. Here's a bus schedule. And this is the route. And this is how I'm going to step in front of the bus, right? Oh, by the way, the bus will take me to the platform, right? To get in front of the metro station. And the third one is I have a gun safe. The only reason why the gun safe stopped working is because my ex-husband at the time, he had locked me out of the gun safe. It was a biometrics gun safe. And he realized that I had suicide ideation and he had locked me out. It was a gun safe that was biometric and as well as a key. He took the key, so I couldn't open it by key and it was biometric and he removed my fingerprint. So I could no longer get by gun. And honestly, the thought of a knife was a little too gory for me. So that was not an option. So for me, you know, stepping in front of a vehicle, like such as a bus or a metro for me was how I planned it. And I effectively looked at times and how to do it and and figuring it all out. And for me, that's the fastest and easiest way, right? Least painful. And it was going to be done. For me, it was realizing that in that moment that people do love you, Because when you're hurting that bad, you don't think people do because you hurt so bad. And the truth is, they do. Because when you hurt so bad and you think you're the problem, you think that you're such a burden to people, right? That calling them or talking to them would take up so much of their time and their resource. So, you don't want to call them, especially when you have such a hard headed personality like mine. So, I know looking back that it was divine intervention. And it made me stop and think
0: what was I doing? Oh, where do we even begin? (laughs) Jenny Lynn, you're usually the crier on the show, so I. I took it upon and decided to do it on your behalf. You're welcome. That was very beautiful, Olivia. And just thank you for sharing that. I was really looking forward to this conversation because I knew it was going to be a real, a real one. Not not that our past conversations weren't real, but very like heartfelt and and detailed. And I'm just so happy that you got to the point that you got to and despite how you were feeling you knew deep down that you were still very loved and it makes me think like in those moments when we feel we feel that strongly i do think it's those moments you're reminded how how loved you are and and that you still matter and there's still life for you and it's going to be a good one even if you don't know what it looks like and that's the beauty of faith i think is trusting that you know god has different plans for you maybe better plans so all I could say is thank you, really, for sharing your story. And I'm at a loss of words. Well, <laughs> no, thank you. And
2: thanks for the opportunity, Sharon. I, you know, and, and the back part of that is, you know, that was in that crucial moment at the very beginning of wanting to end it. And then in that healing journey, right, on the backside of, okay, I, I'm not going to want to take my life. But it's still dark, right? It's still dark. It's still hurtful. And when you're still trying to figure out the process of who I am and what I'm going to do, you know, that's still very painful. The second part of that journey was I got a phone call, right? From a very good friend of, Hey Livy, what are you doing? Uh yeah, you know, I I don't know. He's like, Let's have lunch. Okay. So I I met up with him and we had lunch and he's like telling me, you know, so speed me up, what's going on? And and you know he he knew that you know the divorce was going on and things weren't going well and he's like okay so when are you gonna start an LLC and I'm and I looked at him like what are you talking about Willis and he's like I need you to start an LLC because I got work for you uh you do yeah Olivia like I've I've been waiting like. Yeah, you've been work. you know, you've been doing stuff when you were Lieutenant Colonel Soldier for Life. You've been, you know, doing stuff with me with that. But I've been like, I need you to be like an LLC because I got work for you. Uh, uh, okay. After that lunch, I went and started an LLC. And from there, I became his ambassador. And that is why you've seen me on the face of Burbis. And I'm talking about Mr. Scott Davidson. He gave me task and purpose, right? He reminded me of my talent and who I am and what I do, and really just like put me on this path, right, he reminded me of like what I was good at, right I was like I was floundering and lost, and like in that one simple conversation at lunch, it wasn't like he like created me right that that wasn't it. he just reminded me like Olivia, like come on, get your head out of out of the clouds, like you are Olivia Nunn, this is what you're good at, and let me remind you, and I've got. I've got a mission for you. Right. And born from that, I like was just put on this path of like, ah, I can see this. I get this. And from that was this new idea. This is where Olivia 2.0 started to be. This is the creation, the idea. And this is where I in the storm was really birthed from. Right. This coming from surviving of I, of, wanting to end it all, of understanding mental health, of recreating who I was, and understanding that people love you, specifically love me, right? And I've shared this on my post. I've shared this on, uh, in other ways that when I say that I am truly grateful for the team that I have, and specifically for Scott, like, I can't say that enough. Because it was truly at the right time. Because if it wasn't for that, I don't know if I would still be here, right? Yes, I came through on that one side, but this put me on that path to keep going. And that's, I think, the part of what people really need to continue on their healing journey is that it's a growing, evolving journey for each one of us, right? Right. And I'm sure Jen, you know that like it, it doesn't end, right? It's not something that you're like, okay, I have mental health and I, and I saw a doc for it, right? It grows and it shifts and it never goes away. And I am truly grateful for the community that surrounds me and just to be able to share it.
0: Yeah. Keyword community is what Jenny Lynn and I love. Yeah. That's what we love talking about. And we, you know, we value uh, community building through these types of conversations. And part of being in community is feeling needed, is knowing that you are needed. And and more than that, you are needed, you are valued, you are loved. And, you know, shout out to Scott, not my husband, but you're Scott, (laughs) 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 you know, for that opportunity and, you know, for where you are today to tell the tale. Oh man, I, um, well, you took my word. Uh, It's (laughs) our word. No kidding.
1: (laughs) I know. (laughs) I definitely was going to call out the community piece, but that, but, you know, bringing it all back to the beginning where we were discussing, like, how Olivia, like, you've been in public affairs for 20 years and you've been working in social media, you know, for the past decade plus. And being you want to be authentic online so that when people see you in person, you are the person that they envisioned you to be. it reminded me of something and i don't know if I heard this at church or you know from brene Brown, but the idea of like um your story being a house, and like some people you let onto the front porch, and some people you let into the den, and some people like you let into the bedroom, not in a weird way, just in like an intimacy level way. And I think today you really let us like sit in your den and like listen. And I am so grateful for that. You know, I think this conversation, it meant a lot to me. And I appreciate you letting us in past the front porch to hear. You Know some of the harder details to say, but that authentic authenticity, you know, it's something I strive to do also on social media that what you see is what you're gonna get, and also knowing that like there are levels like <laughs> Jen knows more about how my day went simply because we're co workers and we meet before we meet before the meeting, you know, than the guest we have, but also like if you were to see me on the street, like Olivia, I mean, at I'd give you a hug like, because you've shared so much of your life with us. And I, I just appreciate your time and your, your authenticity there. Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Uh, well, on that note, so Olivia, as we know, you host the podcast, Never Stop Serving, podcast series from MOA. And I thought I'd ask you at this point in your life right now, what does Never Stop Serving mean for you? I think really,
2: for me, it's Giving back. It's you know, I say this a lot in my post is that my heart remains with the military community. And I think for me, the MOA slogan is just that is that you just never stop serving when you take off that uniform, you still give back in whatever capacity. It doesn't mean that you necessarily need to like, you know, join and you know, go stand on the corner and you know toot your horn. It can be giving back in whatever way best makes sense for you. You know, I would love for your listeners to find out more about Moa and to to join. Right, you can join Moa for free. You know, that's at entry level, and then you can. There's obviously tiers to that membership, but at, at a minimum, find out more about Moa if you don't know about Moa. But you know, get involved in the tribes that make sense to you. Right, talking mm-hmm. about community, like mindedness. You know, and then also get involved in organizations that aren't like-minded with you. You know, stretch your thinking, stretch your thinking in ways that you never have thought before to grow in that aspect, right? Learn about different cultures, learn about different ways, because that makes you a better well-rounded person in everything from religion to culture to even politics, you know, oh, gasp pop politics, <laughs> you know? it's always a fun topic. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> you know to me that's what never stop it serving is it's give back to the community. Everything from the community literally in your community where your house sits, your community when you talk about faith-based community to you know the uniform, right? How do we make the space better for you, for me, for our children? And that's what I truly love about working for Moa On the ability of storytelling, of being able to podcast, to find organizations that do that, to be able to have conversations with organizations like yours, right? To be able to come onto your podcast, to go onto another podcast, invite you guys onto Mo's podcast, because that—that's how you do it, right? One story at a time.
0: Yeah, and what you shared it also reminds me of when you're grateful for your life and you're grateful for where you are today. A great way to show that gratitude is to give, is to give back. And I imagine that everything you're doing today, Olivia, is very gratifying for you. I, I imagine that it is it is also part of your continual self healing process, you know, to work through everything you went through just recently. <laughs> so, you know, thank you for being here. Thank you for recognizing how loved you are. I know we all just met, but. Holding down the fort loves you. Thank you. (laughs) And yeah, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here to tell the tale because it is so deeply appreciated. And I bet our listeners will get a lot out of this conversation. No,
2: thank you. I appreciate just the chance to be able to come on here and share about MOA. And, you know, it's, it's, a healing process for me every time that I can share. I hope that, you know, your listeners get something out of it that if they didn't know about Mo, they know something more about Mo and are excited to learn about it. But more so that for me, what I love the most is when I get a note saying that you've inspired me to share my story. That to me is the greatest gift. You know, everything from you know, on my own personal, um, Instagram page, I share, I'm a Peloton. I'm a huge advocate of Peloton. I've, I've owned Peloton for like, like seven, eight years is, and so I share like little snippets of me on the Peloton It's like, I'll get stories of like, you know, thanks for, for motivating me to get up my butt and go do something. And so if this gets somebody to share their story, to help them in their healing process, that makes my day. Right. Because The healing journey starts the moment that you open your mouth and say, I need help. Because trust me, that was the hardest part of the journey of just opening my mouth and saying, I need help. The hardest words to say. The rest, I promise you, is the easier part. Asking
0: for help was literally the hardest part. Literally the hardest part. Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks, Olivia. I really appreciate having you on. Let us know as we wrap up here how you want people to get a hold of you or if they want to learn more about MOA, how can they do that?
2: So MOA's got a website. It's moa.org. And you can find out all kinds of great information there. I have my own handle. Uh, You can find me on Instagram. My handle is rcrprincess. I'm also on LinkedIn at Olivia Nunn. And you can also find me on Facebook as well. So would love to be able to connect with your listeners there and check us out. Awesome.
0: Well, Olivia, thank you so much. And of course, to our listeners, if you want to reach out to Olivia and learn more about Moa, we'll have that in the show notes for you. With that said, thank you all so much for joining us and we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. thanks again for joining us at holding down the fort by us vet wealth once again i am your co-host jen amos and i'm jenny lynn stroop thank you so much for listening to our show If you've gotten a lot out of our conversation today, be sure to leave us a five-star
1: rating review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.
0: Or you can leave us a kind LinkedIn
1: recommendation on our LinkedIn profiles. Learn more about Holding Down the Fort by visiting holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. And there you'll also be able to find us on social media
0: and how to contact us directly. Thank you all so much for joining us. Until next time.